6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 37 through 41. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of the lambs. They shall consume into smoke, they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Ordered means secured or established. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord can keep us from stumbling. Jude reminds you of that in his epistle. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. There's David's summary of his experience. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and the seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. So again, it's a question of taking the long view here. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I saw him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and uphold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. You know, it's interesting to recognize these convictions of our friend David, and realize how he communicated that to his son Solomon because so much of this is echoed, of course, in the Proverbs of Solomon. He wrote 3,000 of them. We have you know, a third of them in our book, but, but um, uh, much of the same conviction. And it's, a, it's a confidence in the justice of God, even though we may not see it because we only see a little part of it. It's sort of like examining a tapestry with a microscope. You can see the threads and you see the work. You have no grasp of what they fit in until you stand back and see the whole thing. And we are not in a position to see the whole thing yet. Our days are as a handbreadth as we're going to encounter here shortly. It's going to go on here. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Trust in God is very important to God. 
And much of your situation will depend on how much you're trusting him. If you trust him, you know he's going to be just, and you know that he has everything under control, despite appearances at times. Okay, let's go to the next one, Psalm 38. This is now a penitential psalm. What do we mean by that? One that we, in which we're experiencing the correction of God. That we're in, we have troubles, but they are in the form of chastisement by a loving father. Big difference in, in perspective here from just being exposed to injustices and the troubles in, uh, that surround us. And here, being in a situation where we're being taken to the woodshed because, because our loving father cares enough to want to chastise us. The penitential Psalms, and we're in 38 is one of those. In other words, suffering under God's discipline, what we're dealing with here. Now, we have choices when this happens. They're detailed for us in Hebrews 12. But basically, are we can despise these chastenings. It's not fun to go to the woodshed. We can try to resist it, but that's foolish. What we ought to be doing is praying that the lessons not be wasted. Let's do it just once, not again. We can collapse under it, or we can accept it and submit. Which of these four you think will be the most successful? I think the fourth one, right? Accept and submit and pray that the lessons not be wasted. I'll never forget the first time I heard that. I thought, gee, that's a strange. We were in a group prayer thing and, and, and uh, the, the leader prayed that the, these lessons not be wasted. I thought, you know, wow, that's quite a, that's a, that prayer has echoed my ears for many, many years. How often we have we're in some form of lesson and what we, our prayer should be. Let's not waste it. Let's learn what he's trying to teach us this time so we don't have to repeat the course. huh? The other thing you should pray is that it's undeserved. We're assuming it's undeserved. If it's deserved, that's a whole other thing. Pray that's undeserved. It's interesting, Galileo, he was imprisoned by the Inquisition at Rome and he was imprisoned because he was asserting the Copernican system. Um, you know, the whole idea that the, uh, the earth and the planets revolve around the sun. It was a very radical idea in those times. And uh, he was imprisoned by the Inquisition because he asserted the Copernican system. And part of his penance was to repeat seven penitential psalms every week for three years. <laughs> so that's a, but at the same time, what a blessing. Can you imagine taking any seven psalms, okay, and repeating them every week? For three years, 150 times, right? Each. That's not bad. You can get all those blessings in a weekend if you want to work on it. <laughs> okay. There are three responses that David suggests in, in uh, Psalm 38. People who suffer the consequences of sin and they feel the chastening of the, uh, the loving father, they have three responses. We can focus on ourselves. That's the first thing that David highlights on. And if we do that, we'll experience sin's painfulness. Verses 1 to 8. A psalm of David to bring to remembrance for a memorial. So this is a petition to God to help remember him and grant forgiveness. That's what David's focus is going to be. In the first verse... He says, O Lord, that's the way it's translated. When you see it all capitalized, this convention the printer uses to speak of yod or Yehovah, or Yahweh, however you choose to pronounce the tetragrammaton, the four letters of the, which speak of the covenant relationship. 
of, of, of God. So, uh, O yod heh rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. He's going to use um, both of these words, yod and Adonai, in verse 9, and again in verse 15, and then at the end. So we, don't, we miss that in the English, um, whether, it, which, whether he's talking about the covenant relationship or the, Lord, the word Lord or master, it's a, a, a master, Adonai. But, uh, uh, okay, so he's appealing to God like a loving father. The Lord first rebuked David, then chastened him. Both the rebuking and the chastening is evidence of a loving father. If he didn't do that, he wasn't loving him. Many fathers don't love their sons enough to, chasten, to rebuke and chasten them. And so, the word, yeah, the Lord does, like a loving father. Two things, rebuked and chastened, both evidence of love. That's in Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12, so on. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. God's arrows, we find that term all through the book of Job, for example. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. The word rest there is shalom. Shalom, the word for peace, more than that. The word for shalom doesn't mean just peace, it means welfare, it means health. It's a much broader concept than what we think of with the word peace. The cause of illness is sin. And so this is not a messianic psalm. This is dealing with David who was sinning. This is not messianic. Christ did not sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. David has sinned and he's in over his head. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. There's no health in his body. As I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. All my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. His pain was so severe that he howled like a beast. All this because he sinned against the Lord. You see, we're free to disobey, but we're not free to change the consequences of our sin. Okay, we said that first thing you can do is focus on ourselves. Those are the first eight verses. What's the second thing you could do? Well, you can focus on others. And in this case, you'll experience this, the loneliness of sin. Galatians says much the same thing. First in Galatians 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bury one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 2 has a similar expression. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of the many. So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. 
to, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, David, going on here, says, Lord, all my desires before thee and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth. My strength faileth me as the light of mine eyes. It is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. See, that's in contrast to what Galatians and, and what you know, Paul's letters to the Galatians and, and, and the Corinthians suggest we should be doing. Here, his friends and his kinsmen stood afar off. Wouldn't have anything to do with them. It's sort of an analogous situation to Job and his three friends, in a sense. Except here, we're going to find that many of these friends were not really friends. They were hoping he would die. And uh, they also that seek after my life laid snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. Tough spot to be in. David's really hurting. And the ones that he would expect to be his friends are there plotting against him and hoping that it'll get worse. And why is David upset about this? Not just for his own sake. He is the Lord's anointed. In David's mind, God's reputation is also at risk here. But he goes on, But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was a, as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. Okay. We can focus on ourselves and experience the pain. We can focus on others and discover loneliness. Or we can focus on whom? The Lord. And experience sin's forgiveness. And that's the way he wraps this up here. Then, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Not on others. For in thee, Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. There we have two words. We have Yotevave and Adonai. He uses both terms here. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. He's ready to give up. And all this, is, I want to emphasize, wasn't just for David. It was, for the, it was uh, his enemy's plot against him. They gloat over his fall, hate, slander, and all of that. You and I should not give the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme God. That's part of what, what the operative here. But David is ready to give up here in verse 17, it would seem. He says, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin, but mine enemies are lively. Vigorous is perhaps a more uh, accurate translation. And they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully uh, are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are my adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. So this is all in contrast to David's situation. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So basically... David's in the same position as the prophet Habakkuk, if you remember the book of Habakkuk. He simply wants David, David just wants God to be merciful. 
be with me, be near me, be for me, and help me. That's basically the three petitions that are wrapping this up here. Okay, we're to Psalm 39. Psalm 38 and 39 record David trying to be silent during the time of trial because he's fearful that he might say the wrong thing. The, the tongue is the toughest part of our facilities to bridle. And David's trying very hard not to say anything lest he blaspheme or do something inappropriate. He doesn't want to give the... the uh, uh, he doesn't want to offend believers on the one hand or give ammunition to the unbelievers. Now, this psalm is an interesting psalm. It's often used at funerals. It's been used all throughout history at some very famous uh, funerals. And as you read the literature and go through, it's amazing to me to discover how immersed in psalms were leaders, even political leaders, Queen Elizabeth and others, all through history. Uh, the psalm, the, the, the language, the concepts, uh, it, was, it was clear that in those days they really had immersed themselves in the psalms. But uh, the, uh, this psalm, Psalm 39, has been recorded by some as the most beautiful of all the elegies in the entire book of Psalms. And uh, we're going to discover that David's pent-up feelings, he's keeping silence, but these pent-up feelings burst forth. To God, but not to man. He's being silent to men, but he opens his heart to God in Psalm 39. And there are four stages in overcoming this tension. First, he was silent, and that gave him a burning heart that we're going to see in the first three verses. To the chief musician, even to Jedithan. Jedithan was one of the three top musicians along with Heman and Asaph, that David put in charge of the worship in the sanctuary. And uh, Psalm of David. I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. He's going to try. He's going to, he, he, he wanted to speak out, but he did the smart thing. He just held his peace. As we might say, he put a zipper on his mouth, is the, the figuratively speaking, obviously. And, uh, and that's going to probably justify his heartburn, and he's going to have heartburn because of this. I didn't use that in quotation marks. Because I was dumb with my silence, I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. So the next session is he's, he's despondent. He now he is, has a burdened heart, the next few verses. He speaks out, but to whom? Not to his enemies, not to the public. He finally unloads his heart to the Lord. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Four fingers wide. Four fingers wide. It's not a span. It's a handbreadth. Four fingers, you know. Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And then we have that curious pause, Selah. Some people regard it as a musical annotation. 
There are other scholars that believe that's a pause to stop and integrate what you've, what's been said so far. It's a, it's a stop, look, listen kind of flag. And uh, now vanity, of course, is emptiness. Um, the, the very, what he's really saying here, in effect, is the very brevity of life should tell us something. Life is so brief, it goes by so fast, that should tell us something. It's very temporary, it's very quick, especially when you recognize we have an eternal destiny. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Get rich to whom? Pass on to your kids or to other people who don't deserve it, whatever. I mean, it's this whole idea of that. Here you could just insert the book of Ecclesiastes. David's son puts this in a book called Ecclesiastes. It's not a pessimistic book. Many people don't understand it. There's nothing new under the sun. It has to do with the vainness of what's under the sun, not about life in general. It takes, it takes it's really an admonition to take the long view. And... Uh, Really, this whole thing, this whole passage in here asks, what's really life all about? You can't help when, if you've, from here, Shakespeare took this and really elaborated in Hamlet, in, in part of his soliloquy in Hamlet. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps this, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And he goes on. Shakespeare is incredible, but obviously very, very imbued in the Psalms. It's amazing how much of Shakespeare is lifted from the Psalms, by the way. And of course, the third stage was having been silent, having unburdened his heart before the Lord, he's now confident. He has a believing heart. Start with a burning, a burden, and then a believing heart. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. This is the central verse of this psalm. A turning point in David's experience. What do I wait for? I, my hope is in thee. Not in horses or kings or riches or whatever. No, in thee. And he admits his guilt before God. You and I need to remember the Christian's bar of soap. 1 John 1, 9. If, we're, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's his faithfulness we rely on, not ours. Okay, and that gives us the final fourth stage where he is repentant. And he, has, he, went, he went from a burning heart to an un, unburdened heart to a believing heart to a broken heart. David says, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me, or, or blow, if you will, from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. Conflict, if you will. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. There it is again. And Selah, to tie it together. You know, C.S. Lewis commented in a very quotable way. I had to include this. C.S. Lewis, 
in dealing with a, in this, a piece called The Problem of Pain, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Interesting. So we have pain. That's God trying to get our attention. Jim Elliot is I finally tracked down. You've heard this a lot. I wondered where it came from. Jim Elliot is, is to whom this attributed. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How interesting. How eloquent. How to the point. And then we continue here. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears. For I'm a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. When he says be no more, he doesn't mean end forever. He's speaking about his earthly pilgrimage. How do I know that? Because you remember Psalm 23, verse 6? He, his destiny was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he recognizes an earthly pilgrimage. It's not over then. Okay. Now we get, to the, get more to the dessert here. Psalm 40. 40 and 41. The next two psalms that we're going to take complete the first of the five books of psalms. We're about to finish book number one. These are the last two psalms in Book one, sometimes called the Genesis section or collection of Psalms. And uh, both 40 and 41 are quoted in the New Testament, which makes them messianic. So as we read the Psalms, they're going to have a local practical application as far as David's concerned, fine. But we're going to, by the Holy Spirit, discern that underneath the text is lurking messianic allusions. And we want to be sensitive to that. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music